This is serpents, Jesus said. And innocent as doves. So we're going to do that and share some things. And if you didn't hear it, that's okay, because what we're going to say has value whether you heard it or not. But if you did hear it, and if you have questions as we're, as we're talking about this, you feel free. You know what this does? What does this do when we deal with issues like this, Clint? I, I go to the gym, and there's tension in that, but it, it makes me stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it initially. Yeah. What's that? It works out. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. That's the way you get stronger. I think I got one slide. I think the benefit is it makes us all look uh, at Scripture uh, a lot closer and uh, look at what's being drawn from the Scriptures, what's, uh, what we can pl- and apply, and so on and so forth. So. Another thing that I think it does is it creates an authenticity here that this truly is a safe place where if you have concerns about something, you're free to voice them. That we're not here saying we've got it all, we've got the truth, and don't question us. We, we're on a journey. And we're walking together. And if you have things that you want to bring up, if you have things, questions that you want to bring to our attention, we, we'd love to hear those. So, Can I add one more thing? Sure. I think there's one more thing, too, that really encourages me when Paul does this, is that it shows his care for us as a flock, that he's looking out for things. Because there's, there's things that when Paul left Ephesus, he said there's things that are going to try to come in. And one of the jobs for each of you, you're going to be leaders in different environments. And I think the easier approach in our culture is to become passive and go, that's a lot of work to actually deal with conflict resolution biblically. <laughs> it takes time. It takes love. It takes, it takes humility. And those are things God actually wants to cultivate in us. And so every time we come into a situation like this, this is leadership training for all of us. I mean, I learned so much watching Paul. Paul's had to rebuke me a lot. When we say that's fair, you've had Paul's given me some really stern, especially in the in the a few years ago, not not, <laughs> not recently not, as much. I, no. I learned that's the goal. The goal is the goal is to learn from that. Well, that's the job of your wife now. So yeah, yeah, my. <laughs> the, the baton got passed. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. Praise God. But so I, I just want to encourage you as we approach this and talk more tonight that this is actually uh, an incredible gift for all of us uh, because I believe that each of you guys are called to be leaders and to exercise uh, spiritual uh, oversight and, and servanthood. So, and what we've shared, what we will be sharing, I uh, I sent to my friend Robert. I told him uh, I said thank you for a wonderful evening last week. I said thank you for all the good fruit. Thank you for the people that you prayed for. Thank you for the advance. I said, I did have a concern about one or two things. He said, well, let's talk about them. I said, okay. So we started talking about it, and then I said, I'll send you something. So I sent him these things, and we're going to be talking further. So I don't want you to think I'm moving around him either, because he's my brother. And people could easily have done this to me with some of my message that I've given, or even given here. So... I want to be open as well for uh, to be corrected, just like I, I have corrected Clint and some of you. I receive correction. I'm, I'm being mentored, by the way. I'm 67, and I have people that speak into my life as well, just a healthy thing. I have people that I confess to. If you're only confessing to God, you're not confessing to enough people because the Bible says confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So... 
could you start us off, Robin, and yeah. share? Certainly. Um, well, I, uh, I guess the first concern I had was just with the opening text that um, was used to support, I think, the main point. I think we can all agree that there is a lot of, uh, a lot of truth to the idea that um, there's a, a false sense of humility that you can get, um, and I think that you can use that as kind of a crutch to uh, prevent yourself from being used by God in the way that he wants. And I think the concern I had was with um, Numbers 13, if you want to open up to Numbers 13. Um, let's see if I can find the passage here in my mini print Bible. <coughs> if you ever preach, by the way, use a bigger, <laughs> a bigger Bible. Um, so I think the passage, let's see here. Yeah, the passage that was cited here was... Um, Okay, yeah, 13. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 30. And um, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. Um, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up... Uh, let's see here. I lost my place. Uh, uh, okay. We shall all go, by, by all means go up and take possession of it, the land of Israel, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him, the, the ten other spies... We are not able to go up against these people, for they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had uh, uh, spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone, and spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people and <coughs> whom we saw in it were men of great size. So, so the context, of course, the spies had come back from Israel and surveyed the land uh, like Moses had commanded and had come back saying that, yeah, that these the Hivites, the Perizzites, all the the Ites—they're um, all pretty. They're pretty big. They're they're fortified, and so on. And um, but they didn't look with the eyes of faith. And I think that uh, to say that the biggest problem in this text is that um, the Israelites um, didn't see themselves rightly. I think it, I think the the emphasis of the text, as we'll see in here in uh, uh, chapter fourteen, is that uh, the emphasis was they didn't see with the eyes of faith. They didn't see um, the problem in light of how God saw the problem. So. Um, you could just look over to Numbers 14 and look at verse, I believe it's 11. Okay. So after after the Israelites had kind of whimpered and whined and complained, um, the Lord said to Moses, starting in verse 11, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? And uh, I just think that in the context of, of everything that happened in the Exodus and all of the signs and judgments and everything else, that the Lord had shown himself more than faithful to overcome uh, just about any, any problem the Israelites had. And so for the Israelites to start to complain in the midst of something like this was completely unfounded. And so um, I just think the speaker was, and remind me of his name again one more time. Robert. Robert, okay, the same name I do. <laughs> I think Robert uh, kind of... Um, as I think he was sincere, but I think that overlooking this text, um, it kind of uh, abused the the intent of of the passage. I believe um, another passage to look up here is uh, in Hebrews. And this is just more um, more evidence, and let's see here. Go right ahead. Right. Yeah, I apologize. Right. No, that, that's good. That's good. Yep. Uh, Robert said that the uh, the issue of the Israelites 
was that they didn't have faith in themselves. They didn't see themselves as leaders. The text says they didn't have faith in God. The text says specifically that they did not believe God in spite of all the miracles he had done in their midst. So as opposed, it, it, the passage was say, is saying, trust in God, don't trust yourself. That, that's the emphasis of the text. So that, that's the disagreement I had, so I apologize. I kind of assumed that everyone else was kind of in my mind. So I, I, we did not have any time to prepare. I didn't have any time to prepare. I think Clint did because he doesn't have work a full-time job. So. <laughs> Two shots I does. Okay, there we go. All right, yeah. Right, yeah, there we go. Um, so the other passage, if you're in Hebrews, is going to be uh, the end of chapter 3. And um, let's see here. Okay, yeah, so 18 and 19. And to whom did he swear that uh, they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, and, and emphasizing verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So it's another uh, confirmation that the issue at stake was not their belief in themselves, but their faith in Christ, their faith in God, uh, to deliver him. So anyway, that's pretty much all I have, so... Yeah. And to add to that, and this really comes down to the, the center of the gospel. And I think, I love Robert. And, and I told him before the message that most of the messages I've ever heard him preach have left me hungry for my, my Bible, to read my Bible, which is really good fruit. And I think the question ultimately comes down to, um, are we going to stay God-centered in our theology? What I mean by that is, God is the source and the way I overcome shame, which was the emphasis of the message, which is absolutely really significant. Uh, th- that, that, that's a really important message, especially today in our culture, because shame is the result of sin, right? And so God came to destroy sin. And the question is, why and how? I would say are the two big questions of why and how does he want to do that? And I think as we look at, uh, if you want to flip to 2 Corinthians 3, I just want to look at one verse, really, that I'll give you the context of it, that I, f- I feel like really describes the big picture as it relates to the topic of shame and uh, what God's doing. And we, we understand, uh, Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the question we have to ask is, the gospel of Christ is, is the power to save us, and continue to save us, and then ultimately save us. So the question is, what is the gospel? Is the gospel ultimately, I'm really awesome, and I need a better view of myself, or is it God's really awesome, and I need to get my eyes off myself and onto him? And I would propose the latter as the biblical uh, kind of mandate of which we walk out, and this is a theological term I'm going to give you, and then explain it. And it's the word sanctification. And the word sanctification is is the practical outworking of becoming holy or becoming like Christ. And it's what we all want to do, right? We're all here because we want to grow in sanctification. I think Paul here gives us uh, a really important key to that sanctification. And then I'll compare it back with last week's message and try to describe that. So uh, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, uh, we're going to begin reading. And in chapter 1 and 2, Paul's talking about our suffering uh, his, sorry, not ours, his, his suffering almost unto death uh, and how God uses that uh, to deliver him from trusting himself and to bring him into confidence in God. And he actually says that in chapter 3 and he's, he's describing here in chapter 3 the, he's paralleling the old covenant versus the new covenant. And he's saying the difference is between the two. And then verse 18 I feel like is just monumental. So let's just read it. Paul says, But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed 
into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I just want to hit about five things in this verse. The first thing he says is, first, our face is unveiled. What does that mean? He says in the verse uh, before that, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's this veil that lies over people's hearts. And it's a veil of faith versus unbelief. And so the question is, we want to get that veil removed, right? Because that veil is keeping us from seeing something. And he's not talking about physical sight here. But he says, when we turn to Christ, the veil's removed. And so he says, we, talking to Christians, as we behold something, we get changed. And, and the something, he says, is the glory of the Lord. And in the context, it's the glory of Christ in the suffering of the gospel. In his death for our sins, in our place, and his resurrection, he goes on to say in, in chapter 4, he describes that. But so what, there's a really important key here. He's saying the way we get transformed as Christians into the same image. In other words, our whole goal is to be transformed to be like him, right? We want to be like Jesus. And the way we do that is not beholding ourselves. The goal of God in your life primarily is not to come and give you a better view of yourself. It's that your eyes would get open to the glory of another. And it's the glory of Jesus. And as I behold Jesus, his life as in a mirror, and we know James talks about the word being like a mirror, right? In other words, as I as the Holy Spirit opens my eyes and that veil's removed and I behold the truths of who Jesus is in this Bible and I, and I exercise its faith, I just come into agreement and I agree with what the Bible says about Jesus. I actually, that's the way I get saved. But it's more than just the way I initially get saved. It's the way I continue to get transformed. And I want to I tell you that there's, I love the body of Christ and I am as messed up as anyone and I'm in process and God's correcting me and I need refinement and I need correction. I need you guys. We need to sharpen each other. One of the fears I have for the church in America is that there's a, a man-centered gospel that sounds more like pop psychology than Christianity and it says the goal, the chief end of, of God is to glorify man. There's a gospel that says that. Now it doesn't say it that explicitly but we know according to the Westminster Confession that the chief end of man is to glorify God, right? So God's at the center of the story, not me. And the, the problem with Israel in that passage in Numbers was that they, they got their eyes off of God, right? And it's the glory of the Lord. As I behold him, I become a mirror to other people. And I want to tell you, there's nothing in me good apart from him. So I don't need a better view of myself. I need the view God has, but it's ultimately it comes from beholding him. So the way I get changed is I see Jesus, I agree with him. Now, yes, my identity does change, and that's important. And so if you got that last week, praise the Lord. God's continuing to do that in me, identity in Christ, but it's more than that. He wants to save me from myself. Because the world doesn't need to see me. And, and the truth is, we're, we're depraved apart from God. And that's not a popular doctrine, but it says it all over the Scripture. The Scripture's like really emphasizes that there's nothing in us that attracted God to come and die for me. The source of love, it started with God. God demonstrated his love. He didn't demonstrate my worth. The gospel is not about how great I am. It's about how great Jesus is. And, and the world is dying because they don't see that reflection of the glory of God. Everything Paul says, whether eating or drinking, that's a daily common activity, right? He says, do all of it, not so people see us, but so... We would glorify God. We do it all for the glory of God. And so I, I know Robert's heart. And I know he loves the glory of God. But I want to I get a bigger view of God 
Amen? I want to get a bigger view of Christ. I need a bigger Christ. I need him to increase and me to decrease. And I'll finish with this. So we turn to him. We behold the glory of God as in a mirror. And then we get changed. I get changed by looking at him and seeing him with eyes of faith. And then I become like him, which is the whole goal of the Christian life. So shame is important. Jesus despised the shame, right? He endu- How did he do it? Was it self-exaltation? No. Was it Jesus showing everyone how amazing he was in being strong? Or was it the opposite? It was weakness. And so shame is not defeated by me going, oh, shame. It, it's me dying with Christ. I'm crucified with him. And sh- that's how I despise the shame. So the call is to pick up our cross with him. And it's in the cross through the blood of Jesus that I have power over shame. Because we do need to defeat the enemy. And, and shame is an accusation. And, and I'm not going to overcome it in strength. I need to go low. I need to get weak. I need to die. I'm not good at this yet, but the Holy Spirit's committed to doing it in us. Praise the Lord, right? Praise God. Praise God. He brings difficulty to bring me to the place where I embrace the cross with Christ and I despise the shame with him. So I want to boast in one thing. There's only one boast in the Christian life. This is the most devastating verse in, in the Bible to me right now. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be forever, but Galatians 6.14, Paul says this, God forbid I boast except. So he gives an exception. You thought, oh wait, the Christian life is not about boasting. It's not except for one thing, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a boast, but it's not you. It's Christ. And the way you overcome shame is boasting in his work because there's no weapon formed against Christ that's going to prevail, amen? And so you're in him. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's how I get free from shame. I get hidden. I get consumed. I get lost in the vision and the glory of someone else. And it's through Christ that we get delivered. And that's, that's my hope for us, is that as a community, we would grow in a, a, just a greater vision of Christ. So. Is there an amen to that? I so appreciate what these guys did in coming to me and saying we had some concerns because had they not, I don't think we would have had this meeting tonight. I think I would have just left it. But because they had concerns and shared it with me. So the issue is, how can we bless Rania and Dan? You guys got to go? Let me just pray pray for uh, Dan's father, who is in the midst of a very, very difficult meeting in a congregation that is not handling conflict right. It's very sad for me to see. I was in four different churches in, in March. We're going to get back to this in a moment. I was in four different churches. They were all in conflict, and they didn't know what to do with it. They don't know how to deal. People don't know how. And so I bless Dan's father, Gary, in the midst of probably the most severe conflict of his life. I pray that he would walk in peace, that he would walk in quietness, and that if he is abused, that he will accept it without rancor, and that you will use his testimony of the character of Christ in his life in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, to show the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay. And we bless you too, Rania.
and the testimony. She's a young Christian. If you haven't heard her story, we'll have her share it one of these days where she, uh, God came to her in a dream and she confessed Jesus as a result of that. And God is using her. She's from Saudi Arabia and God is using her among some of her people and will continue to use her. So we love what you guys are doing. Okay, have a good evening. So, so we're talking about what, what changes us. How can we get changed? Does positive affirmation have a part to play in that? Can it, can it help us? Yes, it can. If I say I am in Christ rather than I'm defeated, that's better. And I'm agreeing with the Scripture. So the more I can agree with the Scripture, the better off I am and the less Satan has a chance. So positive affirmation has a place. What I saw as a young Lutheran pastor coming out of a Lutheran seminary was that, as uh, Clinton Robin shared, that often we trade the centrality of the gospel for pop psychology and we end up with psychobabble. And, and that's, not going to ch- that's not going to change us ultimately. It's not going to give us what we need. And so we're talking about central truths, what really grabs on. Listen to this affirmation. I'm a vapor. I'm a vapor. Here for, here for a moment and gone. See, that I can be blessed by that affirmation too. James tells me that that's an affirmation that I can use that keeps me from thinking too highly. See, I have a problem. I can think too lowly or too highly. Both are pride. Thinking too lowly or thinking too highly. It's about me. And, and Robert wants it to be about Christ. I know Robert. And he goes into China and he changes climates by what he preaches. But the temptation of a message like that is to focus it on me rather than on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he's coming on strong in Romans and he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. And he's fiery as he says it. He says that we died, in fact. We died. Now, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And how do we, let, how do we grab on to that? One way, we believe it. The way, we, the way we experience death to sin is by believing it's true. And you can come on the way here and you can get in an argument with somebody. I said it's not true because I, I just argued with somebody. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. You can say I'm not dead to sin because I just proved it by arguing with somebody and by getting proud. Okay, if you want to believe your experience, you can. Or you can believe the word of God. Take your pick. And as I, as as old as I am, have, have now begun in a more continuous way to say this, I am dead to sin. That's my testimony from the word of God. I am dead to sin because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you possibly make too much out of the cross of Jesus Christ? Can you exaggerate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? I want to exaggerate that rather than exaggerate myself. And so I want to say, Jesus did it at the cross eliminating the power of sin over my life so that Paul can say sin shall have no more power over you because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. And I can believe that or not. I'm choosing to believe that that is true. That changes me. If I believe that the cross of Christ is true and that it actually did that, I can be free from 
pornography. I don't have an issue, by the way, with pornography. But I can be free from that. I can be free from, from gossip by saying, no, I'm dead to gossip. So I'd encourage you in your confession to, to pick that up from Romans chapter 6. Then we hit Romans chapter 7. And it's, it's like, whoa, what happened there? We've got a Paul saying, I can will it, but it's not happening for me. I want to do what's right, but I can't. What's that all about? We just had Romans 6 where we, we saw uh, the, the power of the cross to, to keep us not only from sin's penalty, but sin's power. See, as a Lutheran, I, we, we rehearsed the power of the cross to forgive me. And every week we had confession, which is a good practice. It's a wonderful practice. But it was confessing. I, I was confessing my sins, and so I was getting forgiven, but I wasn't being empowered to live above sin. And so I want you to know that the cross of Christ is so powerful to change you that it will not only forgive you, it will transform you, and it will give you victory from sin in your life. Is there an amen to that? Okay. Then, then Paul is struggling. Uh, at the end of chapter 7. And how does he answer that? Because there are times when we will struggle and this isn't working for me. What's he attempting to do in chapter 7? He's desiring, he's using holy grit, but that's not going to change us. What is going to change us? Chapter 8. Chapter 7 uses the word I, me, or my 41 times. Chapter 8 uses the word Holy Spirit or Spirit 22 times. So he, he shows the answer. We go to the cross, and we go to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work in me what I can't work in myself. So he says that God, has, uh, God did what the law could not do, Jesus did, condemning sin in the flesh, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me, so I can be righteous apart from law by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's why we do so much praying here for the Holy Spirit. We often do that. Most meetings, we have some prayer. In fact, we'll just stop now and we'll pray for the work of the Holy Spirit because I don't have what it takes. I don't have the power. I want to. I want to see it done in my life. And sometimes I try you find sometimes you try to worship or you try to be good or you try to overcome sin and then you fail miserably. What do you expect? See, you don't have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit can produce it. We thank you, Jesus, that after you died and rose again from the dead, you ascended to the Father and you sent the Holy Spirit from the Father. You poured out the Holy Spirit upon us so that what we could not do, we now have power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That power is available for you right now. You can just lay hold on it. You can say yes to that power. And that power can enable you to believe, to receive, to, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and to experience the dynamic gifts of the Holy Spirit, Rania spoke in tongues this afternoon all by herself. We prayed for her 
on Sunday. Yeah, we were here Sunday night. We prayed for her. Nothing happened. And I said, you go home and get by yourself, and you're going to speak in a language. You've already got it. It's already yours. So if you've asked for a gift, it's probably already yours. If you've asked for tongues, it's yours. You already got it. It's just a matter of manifesting. I said, go home, get alone. She said, I did <laughs> today. And she had a release. Now, that's, that's the power of the Spirit working in our life. Isn't that wonderful? So if, if, that, if you desire that, Father, I pray that you would release through the Holy Spirit gifts tonight. People have been praying for prophetic gifts. Your word says you can all prophesy. It says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I pray for an increase of the prophetic gift. And as we who who don't have it just acknowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us, it changes us. We're empowered. I pray for the fruit of the Spirit. One of the first things I pray when I wake up, I say, thank you, Father, for love through the Spirit, joy through the Spirit. I don't get joy by trying to be happy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's here tonight to show His power to change you. If you've been lacking in joy, Holy Spirit, come and bring joy. If you've been lacking in peace, the Holy Spirit can give you peace. If you're if you're losing self-control, you know you can try. You can try to get beyond it, but probably not enough. But if you say, Holy Spirit. You can give me control, control over my thoughts, control over my actions. The Holy Spirit can do it, and you can trust for that. If it doesn't happen right away, keep trusting. Don't throw away your confidence. It has great reward, the Bible says. You will be rewarded always for trusting in the Holy Spirit. So are there any questions now that that, uh, any of them shared? Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Robin. Uh, yeah, Stephen. That's a great. That's a great thought. Yeah, that's. Uh, is there anyone else that has felt that that they, that you'd like to be up here singing from time to time? Because, uh, yeah, here's, and you have, haven't you, Savannah? Haven't you, haven't you sung before? By the way, Savannah and Maura are going to be doing a, a potato dinner here a week from Friday for missions. And if you want to uh, just come and enjoy the evening, that would be neat. Yeah, we like that idea, Stephen, and Ben likes that idea. And we'd like to hear, Ben would like to hear from people. Uh, it, it's, if you can sing on key, is better than if you sing off key. All things being equal, you know that, and we we do look at gifts because we have different gifts, and and we want people up here who can sing, and I think you can sing because I think I've heard you sing and play the piano, Stephen. So, you might be the one. You might. You'll have to audition, Stephen, but you might get in. So talk to uh, talk to Ben about that. Ben, there's Ben. Was anyone uncomfortable with the ministry time that uh, from last week? Let me, let me, uh, did you want to say something about that? No, I'll say something about it too. Uh, 
I cannot go back in time. I'm stuck in the present, walking toward the future. I don't want to live in the past. I live in the past with memories. And uh, if there are bad memories, that's sad because I live them with regret. And I, I can't walk into my future. I can't go back. For, for Jesus, everything is in the present because he's looking from eternity. It's like watching the Rose Parade from a 20-story building. You see the beginning and the end. So he, all, all time is engulfed in eternity. And so here's my understanding that I, I cannot go back, but Jesus can go back to my past. And so sometimes I invite him to go back into my past and to heal areas of my past. And that's, that's a helpful thing to do. And if it helps, I can picture that. I can picture that happening. So I, I can understand that in a positive way. The difficulty comes where I, I uh, can, uh, can try to manipulate what's happening there as, uh, rather than just rest in what Jesus has done. And I've seen this done in a tasteful way where where a person is taken back, and then we say, Jesus, would you heal that memory of that 10-year-old boy? And, and Jesus can do that. Jesus can touch. But uh, it, can, it can step beyond the lines. I don't know if it did uh, step beyond the lines. Go ahead. I, I just want to share a conversation I had afterwards with a young man who I got to pray with. And I think this is often true when we do prayer ministry uh, and I don't know if you've ever been in this place. I've been in this place a lot where it's like, do I need like some supernatural encounter? Do I need a visitation? Does an angel got to show up for me to get changed? How do, I, how do I practically walk out getting deliverance from shame? How do I practically apply a message about being dead to Christ? Has anybody ever asked that? Like, what, what, when I go home, how does this work? And I, I just want to encourage you in the simplicity of the gospel and what the Bible says the mode of transformation is. And like Paul said, it's believing it. And the faith comes by hearing and hearing. And so what I told this guy is, you know, for you to get free from shame, it's not, you're not like casting lots or hoping that, you know, the heavens are opened and you see a, have a vision or a trance. It's really simple. You open your Bible and you look at the truth of what Jesus said and you come into agreement with that truth and you meditate upon that truth. And so uh, even as the ministry time happened, I think the most powerful way we can give people tools is to teach them how they can grow in revelation. And so really simply, here's how you get changed. You take your Bible, you open it up and you ask the Holy Spirit for revelation or understanding of that truth. And you anchor yourself to that truth because there's going to be days good and bad where we don't feel it that much. And I'm not dependent on some subjective encounter to get changed. The good news is God has revealed himself through the incarnation. In other words, God became a man to reveal who God was. Jesus was God in the flesh. So many Christians today operate in an understanding of encountering God as though the incarnation hasn't happened. You have the life of God in the flesh, in the gospels. So you open it up and you go, I don't feel it much, but I, I read the word and I go, this is the truth about who you are, God. This is the truth about who I am. And I'm, and I'm anchoring myself to it. I'm laying hold of it by faith. And then it changes me. And then my emotions and my, my will come into agreement with what's already true in the word. And so if you've ever been in that place where you go, I've never had the, you know, burning bosom and fire. And, you know, I mean, I've never spoken in tongues. That's okay. You're not limited in your ability to be transformed by the power of the word. It's just laid hold of simply by faith. 
So I, I just want to encourage you on that piece. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily uncomfortable with how worship and ministry time went. I think we, we want to be simpler in it and just say, let's grab a truth that you know in the Bible and let's just think about that truth. Rather than emptying our minds and trying to see if Jesus shows up in our mind or not, let's just grab the word and meditate on that which is pure and praiseworthy and true and noble. So, Amen. And if you ever have an experience in ministry that's uncomfortable for you, you can let us know. You can tell either the person, if the person wants to do something, you say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Don't do that. So you're, you're free when you come up. You're, you're not enslaved to some way of doing it. Any other questions? Yeah, Molly. Rather than taking control, she just asked Jesus what he wants to do in that situation. He's Lord. Rather than following a formula. Is that a question? Do you have a hand up there? Come on, come on out from your corner there, Robert. Come on, come on closer, because we got people way back there. Oh, this is terrible. One of the, uh, here's, here's the guy who was in the military that we were thanking for. One thing that's uh, very interesting in terms of working in a church-type uh, area is, unfortunately, uh, it's fortunate but unfortunate, everyone ha- is subjective to how they react to any kind of situation. Some people like to have some order in terms of process because of their type A personality. If they're going to get closer to God, you need to go five minutes in order. Other people who are very new to Christ and they're kind of a relaxed type B whatever. They want to take it slow and easy and then you have the rockers who just have to go loud with a lot of bass. But yeah, that's that's one of the hard parts with the various churches and that's why people go to certain churches other uh, others go to more conservative churches and that's the one problem that we have with all I'm not saying it's a problem so what are what are we Robert I'm not saying it's a problem mm-hmm. it's it's a very nice mixture of people that unfortunately some people would be more ignited one Tuesday and another person would feel more ignited the next so that's just one of those processes we have to just continually go to. We'll find a blessed Tuesday. Sometimes we'll find not so blessed. You know, that's helpful because some of you may not uh, may feel when we worship, why can't I get into it like the person next to me? Well, maybe for you, just sitting quietly is your way to worship. And we don't have a style. Interrupt. We don't interrupt. Some people singing and worshiping and doing all dancing. Other people, their kind of worship is sitting down, listening, learning, talking, and that's, once again, some people feel more touched when they're singing, some people more 
feel more touched when they're listening to sermons. So we're all different. So if I'm different, then I want to, I want to uh, thank God for that and not try to be like someone else. If I'm looking to Jesus, I'm not looking to how you're doing it. You don't have to look like I'm doing it. We can look to Jesus and he can show us the way. Okay, well, this is good. I'd sure encourage you in times of conflict to say something like this, God, this feels really uncomfortable, so you must be up to something good. In my prayer time, I thank God, and if you, wanna, if you, if, if you want proof that I do it, here's my prayer list right here. Sometimes I use my prayer list, sometimes I don't. But I thank God for trials and for tension. And you used to do that as a young pastor, but now I do because I see the value of trials and I f- see the value of tension. Tension is like the gauge on the car that tells me something is happening here. Something needs attention, and I don't want to run from it or there might be a disaster. I want to I see what's going on. So thank you, Father, that in this time together you bring us to a new level of appreciation for your word your spirit, for what you are doing and how you are changing us. Thank you for the clarity that you brought tonight. Thank you for uh, giving us understanding of your word and how we are impacted by it and how we are changed from one degree of glory to another. I invite you now to uh, just... Turn to. We're going to have a time of prayer. Now we're going to close with uh, some prayer together. We're going to have people up here in the front, prayer ministry, up in the front. And uh, if there's something that was touched tonight and you want someone to pray for you, you want to come up to one of the prayer ministers, or you can just turn to one next to you and say, you know, I want to see God's power in my life in this area. I'm having defeat here. I want to see victory in this area. Or I... I want God to use me in this way. So we're going to have a a time of prayer here. Or prayer ministers, can you come on up and take your place up here? You can come up and receive prayer. And then uh, I think we had two or three new ones. Did we have, uh, we had two or three new people. If you haven't come to one of these meetings and you've been here for two or three weeks and you want to join the other new ones, we'll be upstairs after a little time of prayer, maybe five or ten minutes. Then we'll go upstairs. So, turn now. Just turn to people who are close to you. Groups of two or three uh, for a time of prayer together.